We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFP Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, joined, as always, by our lead college football writer, Bill Bender, at SportingNews.com. And, Bill, we got another special guest this week uh, as we go through the offseason, touching base with a few programs around the country. Uh, we had Nebraska uh, a couple of weeks ago. This week, Mike Griffith from uh, the AJC Dog Nation, a multimedia reporter, who has covered the Bulldogs for the last five years, is here to join us and talk about Georgia, the, the kings of the hill at this point. And Mike, uh, I was looking at the record over five years. Georgia, 60-8 and eight with you on the beat. How much credit are you taking for that? Uh, about the same as I took for Auburn's 11-0 season in 93 and the Tennessee undefeated team in 1998, 13-0. Um, and maybe the Michigan State Rose Bowl team of 2013. So I've been around a few of these guys. I've you seen some pretty been. special groups over the years. That's very good. Very good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we're going to um, catch up on Georgia. Obviously, the program that everybody's been talking about, they left no doubt this year who was number one with that dismantling of uh, Tennessee. But now the, uh, the next season is about to take shape. Uh, we got a three-man quarterback derby. Between uh, Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, and Gunnar Stockton, uh, how do you see this race shaping up? And does the loser leave town after spring practice? Wow, you know, it, well, first of all, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a winner or a loser uh, after spring practice. I think that they're going to continue this quarterback competition, maybe even into the season. When you look at a very forgiving schedule, uh, Georgia was originally supposed to play at Oklahoma in Week Two, and the SEC encouraged them. Uh, to move that game because of the complications with Fox and the ESPN and the teams joining. Uh, so that's Ball State now in week two. And uh, it's pretty forgiving. Uh, the three quarterbacks, as you mentioned, Carson Beck is probably the conventional choice. He's been in the program three years. Uh, you know, he was probably the loser in Todd Munkin leaving because he's well-versed in what they do right now. And now you've got Mike Bobo coming in and we still think Carson is the most experienced and probably has the best arm, more of a, like I said, a, a prototypical NFL quarterback style, I would say, with Carson. But Vandergriff and Stockton bring that mobility to the table that Kirby Smart really likes and can really get you out of trouble. Uh, and with Bobo, again, it's it's kind of leveled the playing field. You know, Gunnar Stockton was actually committed to Mike Bobo when he was the offensive coordinator at South Carolina a couple years ago. So you wonder, does that give him a leg up? And then there's Brock Vandergriff, uh, the former five-star committed to Oklahoma at one time. And uh, Vandergriff's been in the system a couple of years. He's already said he wants to graduate from Georgia after the fall semester. He'd be graduating in two and a half years, just to give you some idea of what type of student athlete he is. So these are all three very capable quarterbacks. They, they all have their strengths. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what offensive personnel dictates you do with the quarterback position. Part of the reason that Stetson Bennett became the quarterback over a 7-0 JT Daniels was there were so many injured receivers. Kirby Smart said it's hard to go four and five wide when you've only got six or seven healthy guys. So let's see what the receiving core looks like. Let's see how much double tight end, 
RPO versus spread system and downfield action that Mike Bobo decides this offense can do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, I was going to ask Mike, and good talking to you as always. I was going to make it clear, Mike, when I was coming up as a college football writer for Sporting News, he was the first one to kind of come up to me, be very nice, help me with some story ideas on those Michigan State teams, by the way, which we got to see together. And um, so what's a separator? I mean, is how much is accuracy a separator with these three guys? Obviously, we haven't seen Brock throw, I think, three passes, and we haven't seen Gunner yet, but out of Carson Beck's limited sample size how much is that accuracy it seems like you know Stetson last year he didn't throw picks I mean how much is that a separator in this race with these three and and can Carson Beck be that guy to kind of take hold of the job well once again depending on the type of offense they run and I'm inclined to believe they're going to continue to play the pro style and for those that you know the deeper dive into that when, when you're a pro style quarterback you're essentially flying the jet at the line of scrimmage you're at the control all the levers you're controlling the protections. You're controlling the route adjustment. A lot of times they'll call two or three plays in the huddle. You determine which play is best based on the defense. You're doing this in a very small time frame. So as important as it is to throw the ball accurately, it's important to make the right read and the right protections, right, to keep that ball out of trouble. You don't want to be thrown into the double coverage or into, you know, some zone. A lot of teams will play garbage defenses because they know when I say junk defenses, they disguise maybe zone on one side, man on the other. And you've got to know how to read that. So that's probably first and foremost is for Georgia to determine how much pro style and exactly how much do they want their quarterback to do at the line of scrimmage. So that's the first thing. All these guys can throw it in the bucket. They're all pretty accurate. Stetson it wasn't exactly the most accurate guy, quite frankly. He was bailed out a lot by Brock Bowers, and who I still think was created in some laboratory in Northern California with this, this catch radius and his ability to break tackles. And you just you see him out of uniform, and he looks like he should be not nothing against UPS workers, but he looks like he should be delivering packages. You don't see a guy that's just bulging out of muscles. You see a guy look, like, who's this guy? Oh, that's Brock Bowers. No, it's not. No, it really is. But the guy has this incredible catch radius. Looks like some throwback from the 19th. Needs the high black leather cleats, I think, to complete the look. But this guy's amazing. And, and he's really the most important piece in the arsenal, Bill. And, and the way that Munkin used him, whoever's at quarterback, this guy's Frankenstein. He can line up in the backfield. He can light up as a tight end and block. You can split him out wide. He's an impossible matchup, seemingly. 
So it'll be interesting to see how he gets used. And as to your point, which quarterback throws to Brock uh, Bowers and who can Georgia use to offset Bowers? Last year, they had an incredibly gifted tailback in Kenny McIntosh, who's the most versatile tailback in Georgia history. I mean, the guy's one of only three players in the SEC since 2000 to have over 800 yards rushing, 500 yards receiving, and 10 touchdowns in one season. The other two were Dexter McCluster and a guy by the name of Percy Harvin. Well, you're not going to have that receiving threat out of the backfield anymore because that was answer number two. Everybody tried to take away Brock Bowers, right? And when he wasn't there, if Vlad McConkey wasn't beating somebody deep, it was an easy dump off to Kenny McIntosh well, or, or Darnell Washington. Another one of these, you know, creations out of a lab. You just don't find six foot seven, 285 pound guys that block like an all pro offensive tackle, but also, you know, have hands, you know, is, you know, soft as a, as a baby's bottom. I mean, and Darnell Washington was that he's gone. So there's so much more to this offense that needs to be solved than just the quarterback. And sometimes you work backwards. As I was saying, they got to see, well, do we have enough receivers you know, where you want to go three, four wide and put that prototypical NFL arm back there? Or do you not maybe have as many weapons? So you need that 12th offensive player, the running quarterback. So there's a lot that's still to be decided, Bill. You, uh, I, Mike, I had the same reaction when I saw Brock Bowers at Media Day at the Peach Bowl. And I was like, and he's just in that little sweatshirt sitting behind the table. You're right. He looked like an ordinary college student. I'm like, this is Brock Bowers. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you mentioned the receivers as a key piece of this offense. Um, you know, Ra Ra Thomas, right? Arrested in late January after an altercation, an on-campus storm between him and his girlfriend. Uh, Thomas arrived at Georgia at the beginning of the semester after transferring from Mississippi State where he, uh, he was the other Bulldogs' leading receiver. Um, he's expected to have a large role with Georgia this fall. What, what are you hearing about his status as spring ball approaches? Well, you're right, Bill, and, and it's unfortunate. I don't know all of the details of what happened with Ra Ra. I've, just, I've read the same you know, police report or incident report as anyone else. And, you know, a 17-year-old girl from Mississippi's there to see him on a weekend. And as the story goes, you know, he's upset over somebody she followed on Instagram and she wants to go work out in the the, the dorm room gym and he stands in front of her. I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know the extent of what happened. Uh, you know, domestic issues are always very difficult to sort out, uh, often turns into the he said, she said. And then as far as uh, how it runs its course through the legal process, um, I think there's some optimism. Uh, Rara is still at the University of Georgia. I think there's some optimism that he'll be with the program, but that has not been completely cleared yet. And certainly there's a, a litigation and legal process that has to play out. So I don't want to speak out of turn, but to your point, uh, he's considered a very valuable ad. They need an X receiver, the feature receiver over there on that typically the right side power, right? And it was A.D. Mitchell last year, and A.D. has transferred to Texas. He's got some family members there, and, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, certainly the all-gas, no-breaks genius, except when he plays TCU, and he only scores one touchdown, and Georgia had 65 points. But that's a whole other story. But we, we don't really know for sure, but I think Ra Ra will be that X. And then, of course, a very valuable transfer uh, out of Missouri. Uh, you know, love it. And, and this kid is going to be in the slot now. Didn't see a whole lot of slot action last year. Uh, Georgia was in the double tight end formation, I believe, 65, 67, two-thirds of the time. But but Dominic Lovett, another guy that was the leading receiver in his program, played really well against Georgia, by the way. I think he'll be a dynamic playmaker out of the slot. And Georgia's been solid there, but I don't think they've had anybody really dynamic, probably since McCole Hardman. And, uh, of course, you're familiar with him and, and his speed and, and uh, exploits, occasional exploits with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think you're going to have a dynamic slot uh, if Ra-Ra pans out. Uh, and then, of course, I think Lad McConkie is, is tremendously underrated. Got great feet, great hands, runs great routes. Uh, you know, he's the, the model student athlete. You, wanna, you just want to vote for Lad McConkie for something. He just stands, in, and I don't know if you've been exposed to him, but he's that type of guy. Um, you know, a lot of comparisons to Hunter Renfro, uh, you know, beyond the fact, 
but I, I really like McConkey out there uh, over there at the Z. I think Rara. Now, when you're adding these new players, this is important because it's going to take them time to learn the offense. You know, they're not veterans coming back. They're not going to be as well-versed. A lot of the magic that you saw last year at Georgia, it's not that Todd Munkin, you know, was able to pick the right play every time. As I said earlier in the interview, he didn't have to. He could pick two or three and then let the quarterback determine at the line of scrimmage. Now, when you're calling those audibles and those adjustments, everybody's got to be on the same page. Otherwise, you get those throws, you go, wait a minute, he threw it over there, and the receiver went over there. Is Well, they, they didn't communicate effectively, or they didn't make the same read on what we call the option route, where mm-hmm. the receiver runs a type of route depending on whether he's getting outside-in coverage or inside-out. Corners, DBs, they have to play a guy one way or the other. And depending on the way they play him, the receiver breaks and the quarterback anticipates, right? So they've got to get that chemistry. And and that's why that soft schedule is so important to Georgia, because much like that Rose Bowl team, Bill, you know, who really didn't sort their quarterback mess out until D'Antonio lost on some phantom pass interference penalties at Notre Dame, the fourth game of the season, they're going to be able to work these things out, get that timing down. If they had an early test, like, uh, and I don't know how much of a test Oklahoma is anymore, by the way, but if they were playing a Clemson in the opener, or maybe an organ in the opener that they weren't familiar with. You know, that would be different. But the fact that they've got these easy games early on is really important. Scheduling is so important in championship races now because it's going to give whoever the quarterback is, because remember, we're not going to see this decided in the spring, but it's going to give that quarterback time to get on the same page, find that chemistry and that comfort with these new receivers in the program. Mike, were you surprised? Okay, so we had an offseason where – Alabama goes with Tommy Reese, Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan will have one coordinator instead of two. So that short list of national championship contenders, everybody's going to have a new OC. Georgia goes with Mike Bobo, doesn't extend the search out. I mean, I guess my first question was, one, was that a surprise? And two, you know, Todd Munkin develops, helps develop Stenson Bennett into a guy that's going to get a shot at the next level. Is Bobo just a safe hire, or do you see kind of the same progression with the quarterbacks, the skill position guys? Yeah, and, and Bill, you do an incredible job of, of capturing, uh, you know, the essence of, of the, the vibe of college football because what you just said is exactly what everybody's asking, right? And, and of course, now this is, this is my job. It's why, you know, Trotsky's got me on here, you know, to give you the expertise of exactly why this wasn't just a good hire. It was the only hire. Okay. Number one, I think Kirby recognized, and, and all you got to do is look at Todd Munkin's resume, by the way, this guy doesn't stay anywhere very long. Okay. He's only been three, four years. And, and this is typical of offensive coordinators. They go places they do well and they either get promoted or they get fired. And, and Munkin even told us that, you know, he said, you know, all these people talking about family. Well, let me tell you, if I don't do a good job, you're firing my ass. I don't want to hear. And he's right. He's right. There's no family. Everybody's family till you lose, and then you're out of there. But Munkin gets it. He's got to perform. The relationship is he does a good job or he gets fired. So he gets it, okay? Now, Bobo's a little bit more family. This is a little bit more family. This could be a destination location because Mike Bobo's number one. His son is on the team. A lot of people probably don't know that. Not a high-profile lineman. Good enough to get a scholarship at A, you know? And two, he played quarterback at Georgia. And three, this is his second go-round. You know, here's a great stat. I think we all respect Mark Rick. Anybody that's had any dealings with Mark Rick, not only because what he did on the field was good enough to make him a first battle Hall of Famer, but he's a true gentleman of the game. Do you realize that all of the offensive assistant coaches on the Georgia staff, with the exception of Del McGee, coached under Mark Rick, including Kirby Smart as a running backs coach? This staff looks a lot like Mark's staff's off, and Mark's offensive staffs were fine. When you'd watch Jordan, they go, you would go, oh boy, that Mark Rick's got a lousy offense. You'd say, what in the heck are they doing on the defense? So you're pairing a very good offensive staff with Kirby, who I would argue is now the best, clearly the best defensive staff and the best defensive coach in the country. So that's number one. Now, number two, Bobo didn't have championship trophies. Mark Rick, he couldn't quite get over that hump, right? But if I said to you, Bill, who coached the richest number one overall draft pick quarterback in history? You'd say, Mike, that's easy. 
That that's that would be Matt Stafford. So that's Mike Bobo. Yeah, they have ding ding. Okay. Who coached the SEC's all-time leading passer? You say, give me a tough one. That's Aaron Murray. That's Mike Bobo, too. And then I say, okay, well, but who coached the SEC's all-time winningest quarterback? You might have to think of the name, but you already know it's Mike Bobo. I got the, the name. name. Yeah, very good. So that's kind of the grand slam of SEC quarterbacks that Mike Bobo. And here's one more. Who was the offensive coordinator for the highest scoring team per game in Georgia history? Mike Bobo, 2014, even though Todd Gurley missed six games, even though Malcolm Mitchell. So this is an accomplished coach that we're talking about here. Now, he doesn't have the big trophy, and the fans like to trash him on Twitter. But if you look deep at the resume of the coaches that he's – of the quarterbacks that he's coached, of the success that he's had, and the fact – and this is the incredible fact – he's already been on staff for a year. He already knows the terminology. He already knows the players. He already knows the vibe. And I just can't imagine, like, how would you not hire Mike Bobo? And, uh, you know, you make a good point that, um, you know, the, the schedule being as it is, right? They, they, they're going to have an opportunity to kind of get their feet wet uh, and learn whatever they want to learn under Bobo. And also, you know, Bobo's been a head coach. He did it for five years, I think. And then he's been at other SEC programs uh the you know the staffs didn't work out and so i think when you're looking for stability uh i think bobo could be here for a while if he has some success i guess is my point because he's done the he's done the head coaching thing he's done the assistant thing around and he sees when things go south and there's no indication george is going to be going south anytime soon um so yeah i think this is a pretty good match well you know hey We've seen this before. Will Muschamp came back and uh, ended up being the defensive coordinator when Dan Lanning moved. Or it's pretty incredible uh, the fact that you've got. They call them the three musketeers. Ray Goff recruited these coaches. All these guys were recruited by Ray Goff at Georgia. They were all buddies back then. They're all the kids of former high school coaches. And if could this be the next college football dynasty? I think. I think Bill makes a good point now. Now, Alabama's Alabama, and and my goodness, I've been one of those that have tried to bury Nick Saban two or three times before. He's like a zombie, keeps coming back from the dead and and winning. I I don't know if Bama, they certainly have the talent to do that, but to your point, I think Bender made a great point, a new hire there with Tommy Reese, and I think a good hire, by the way, but so much newness, new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator. Uh, You know, Kirby took a lot of what Nick did at Alabama and brought it to Georgia in 2016. I mean, you'd be crazy not to, right? But now we're in a different era where there's so much more than just how do you practice and how do you schedule? Uh, Now you're looking at how do you retain players? How do you work NIL deals? How do you recruit in this climate? Because this is a different world right now. And that's where Kirby Smart now has the patent. Kirby is the one who has mastered the current college football game. The game's always changing. We've seen it in journalism, guys. You know, the, the guys that were dominating with the typewriters in the 70s and the 80s, we don't see them anymore. And when a lot of them had to hold up their phone and start doing videos, they checked out. If you if you want to stay in the game, you've got to change with the game. And that's what Kirby Smart at 47 years old can do maybe a little better than Saban at what, 70, 71 this Halloween? I, it, it, this is, I think, I think Trotsky brought up a good point. Kirby Smart in Georgia right now, the team a lot of people talking about with good reason. Well, and what was the first word out of Kirby's mouth after the game, the 65-7 to beatdown we were at out in California? One of the first things he talked about, Mike, was entitlement. And that's my question for you is when you look, we, we as sports writers have the notion, and I do it all the time, we're allowed to, the coaches talk about not looking ahead, I'm allowed to. I mean, I'm a writer, I'm not playing. So if you look ahead, at this schedule, you see 10 and 0 before they go to Knoxville. It's hard not to see 10 and 0. And I know that Kirby would hate hearing that. So, how do they guard against entitlement? And how do they guard against, you know, I think the last time somebody sprung an upset on them was Muschamp in South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. Like a real one, a real upset. And how do they, is Alabama still a motivating factor after all everything that was made with Pollock's comments? I mean, all of these 
spin to me that I think they'll be 10 and 0 when they go to Knoxville. How do they guard against that and go for a three peat, which has never been done in any of our lifetimes? Yeah. Yeah. The, the great questions, you know, and there's a lot of factors to this. Um, I guess I would start with this at a program like Georgia or Alabama or, or Ohio state, or probably Michigan for that matter. These kids have to wake up worried about keeping their jobs. Number one, there ain't no time to look ahead. If you don't have a good practice today, uh, you know, Joey on the second team is waiting to take your job. And the third team guy was just recruited and brought in to beat you out too. So number one, the self-preservation factor, when you're a program like this, it, 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 the word elite gets thrown around a lot, uh, but, but it's true. I mean, you, you don't go in any, you don't go into the Georgia football building and see, you know, some fat kid in the corner and go, Hey, there's a project guy they think is going to be good in two or three years. Uh, uh-uh. They all look like they're ready to go to the Olympics tomorrow. So number one, the competition within the team keeps everybody on edge, especially with a guy like Kirby. He's not going to announce the starting, you know, the year that Jake Fromm and Justin Fields competed there. He never did announce a starter. The only way we found out, because and, and Jake Fromm, poor Jake, got sick of answering the question. Jake, who's the starter? Yeah, I don't know. Coach hasn't told us yet. Game week, he finally said, he finally found an opportunity. When we asked him about DeAndre Swift and the kind of season that we thought DeAndre would have, Jake said, I can't wait to hand off to him on the first play of the season. That's how Jake sneakily told us that he was this. But the point is, the starter was never announced. And knowing how Kirby plays ball, I wouldn't be surprised if there's not a depth chart and the starter is never announced. Guys, they're competing every week, he's going to tell us. And, and, and because that's what they do everywhere else, right? Now, it didn't happen last year with Stetson. Why? And why did Stetson go on Good Morning America the day after the national championship game in 2021, after the 2021 season, and say he wasn't sure if he'd be back? Because he found out that Georgia was trying to sign Caleb Williams out of the portal. So when you don't even have your job secure as a championship game MVP, as Stetson Besant was after Alabama, that gives you an idea of what this program is all about. Kirby is going out to sign the best. No apologies. That's his job, and it's your job to be the best. And I better be on time for the next press conference, or he might try to find my company, hire somebody who's filling my seat, because that's the mentality, and that's the feeling around there. When you go in that football building, there's nothing comfortable about it. it it's, it's, it's championship-driven. And, it, and that's, the, that's you know yes or no. Does this help Georgia win a championship? Yes or no. That will determine the course of direction. So number one, the competition within the program. Number two, this has been a challenging offseason. You all know there was a horrible tragedy last month, uh, the night early morning after the national championship celebration where a student athlete and one of the recruiting staff members was killed in a horrible accident. Incidents like that draw a lot of attention and scrutiny to a program. Coaches already circle the wagons, even more so now. That was a wake-up call. You know, there's no entitlement or complacency when you lose a teammate to tragedy. It casts a pall. And how people react to that adversity is different from place to place, but it's been very humbling for Georgia. It's been a very quiet offseason other than that. Now, there's a lot of work to be done, and one of the things that Kirby Smart does, and this is a great example, Bill. This is the kind of story you'd write, and who knows, you maybe even wrote it last spring. But Cedric Van Pran, who's coming back for a third year, this was last year, they came back for spring drills, and there was, and I, I think Kirby totally planted this, but there was a national championship game logo on the practice field. And Cedric Van Pran, excuse my French, said they were pissed off. They said, get that off the field. That was last year. That was last year. There won't be any championship uh, emblems. And it was a very ugly one from Los Angeles here, by, by the way. There won't be any <laughs> championship emblems around the Georgia football building. Except when the recruits come in. Now, when the recruits come in, it's a championship program. But when they leave, it's you guys haven't done anything. That was last year's team. This is your team. And especially with new leadership at the quarterback position, right? Now, you've got some great leaders on defense. Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden. These two linebackers, good cop, bad cop, I call them. These dudes are big time. They're, they're every bit as good, if not a little bit better, than Butkus Award winner Nicobe Dean was two seasons ago. There's some questions. Jalen Carter, easily the best defensive lineman in the country when he's on his game. They're not probably going to be as dynamic at the center of the line, but they're still going to be good. They've recruited well. 
And I think their offense, believe it or not, could be better with the next quarterback who steps in, steps in because all these guys have better physical tools than Stetson Bennett. Now, we don't know if they got the clutch gene. We don't know if they can pull it out like Stet did in the fourth quarter. Um, and, but, and they're going to have to be better because I don't think the defense is going to be quite as dominant as it's been the last two years. Mike, I got one more uh, question for you, and then we'll let you go. I, uh, I did read one of your stories. I think it was uh, talking about the, you know, your, your uh, point about complacency and the competition within the program is after the national championship game in the locker room. Some of the defensive players are like, hey, did you see who was playing in the fourth quarter? Did you see who was making plays? All these freshmen are coming. We're not going anywhere. They, they are coming. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Jalen Carter. He might be the number one pick of the Bears if they don't trail, uh, trade down or whatever, but he's going top five or whatever. What's a name? Is it Bear Alexander? Give us a name to watch on that new uh, defensive line there that they got to fill that hole. Well, I, you know what? I don't know that I would go with the tackle position um, because we're talking uh, first round, three first rounders in the last two years. Bear Alexander is a popular name. He's a sophomore. I think he could grow into it. I'm not ready to put him on the Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter line yet. But, but Michael Williams is a guy that plays that defensive end spot that you saw Trayvon Walker, uh, the number one overall pick of last year's draft. He's in that position. And that's really a Superman spot, uh, Bill. It's, it's, it's interesting because that position does not necessarily produce dynamic statistics because they ask that defensive end to do so much in the run game. And Georgia – Part of the reason why they don't seem quite as sensational, and, and I'd be the first to tell you, I don't think either one of these last two Georgia national championship teams are going to be teams that we put up there as among the greatest of all time because they don't have the dynamic super. They don't have Joe Burrow. They don't have a Devontae. They don't have that dynamic figure. But what they play can be kind of boring here, but effective is team ball. And when we talk about team ball and assignment football, particularly on the defense, it comes down to gap integrity, right? And everybody that watching the program, obviously you've got a lot of real educated fans. They understand there's a gap between the center and the guard and the guard and the tackle and the tackle and the tight end. And then somebody has got to be responsible for the perimeter. Well, if everybody just chases the football because they want the sack or they want the stats, you're going to lose out when that guy cuts back or when they design a play to over overwhelm one side of the football. But when everybody's on the same page and said, you know what, if I just do my job and cover this one gap and he does his job, you essentially build a wall. And that's what George has done so well. They're very unselfish up front. And having Trayvon Walker go number one in the draft is all the evidence. Kirby Sarek can say he wasn't an All-American. You didn't see Trayvon Walker win any individual awards. But what do you want, guys? Do you want to win the trophies? Or do you want to get paid millions of dollars? We're developing guys at Georgia that get paid millions of dollars. 15 guys got drafted last year. Five defensive players in the first round. Those numbers are unprecedented in NFL history. So if you want to chase the trophies, there might be some other schools for you. But if you want to win championships, and if you want to be – I feel like I'm working for Georgia now. You put me in a bad spot here, Bill. That's, that's how they do it. Assignment – Michael Williams, though. He's the dynamic playmaker on that defensive line. They'll find they got to find another rush end. I, I don't see another Nolan Smith. The guy he pursues people like uh, if you ever seen those Jurassic Park movies, he looks like a raptor. I mean, he's just big and fast. You're like, wait, you're not supposed to be that big and fast. But they don't have that, and they got to find that end that you're looking for. That that's a star maker position. They don't have a guy. They've been overloaded at that spot so much that Jermaine Johnson the ACC player of the year and first round pick couldn't even start. That's why he transferred to Florida state. They don't have that depth there right now. They need one of these young guys to step up and I'm not ready to throw any names out there until I see him. And I won't see him until G day game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Mike, that was awesome, man. We'll let you get out on that one. It was a pleasure talking to you as always. I'm sure you and I will cross paths this season as usual. Maybe you get back up this way back to Big Ten country. You got to give me a shout out. So we got the combine next week, Bill. We got yeah. 12 Georgia. I'm going to be in Indianapolis. I don't want to be there. I want to be in the sun in 70, but there's a lot of football players that are going to be in Indy next week. So I'll be there. Check a lot of SEC players. Uh, Bama 13, I think Georgia 12. Um, I'm sure there'll be some Ohio State Buckeyes there too. Maybe I can ask them if they thought if that was a a, a targeting call. Is <laughs> Ryan Day stopped talking about that? I just wonder. Are they talking about anything else up there? But that no, that, they 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 talk about that a lot, right? Because of our because of well, Marvin Harrison will be talking to everybody next year at the combine, and and Jackson Smith this year, and the next receiver. I do think Ohio State's in the conversation. They proved that, and Michigan's working toward that conversation, though they don't have the four and five star depth to uh maybe beat a georgia yet but we'll see over the next few years as we get into it and you know, like i said mike you do an awesome job i encourage all our listeners to follow mike if they want the best georgia coverage um he's not only a good writer he's a pretty good friend of me so and an fwaa guy like me so uh keep follow us on there all right guys i really appreciate the time man thank you so much thank you Thanks, mike all right guys have a good one all right well, that was some good Georgia talk, yes? Yeah, we got a lot of Georgia talk there, and uh, Mike does a good job, and he'll be busy. He gets fired up about him, and he, like he said, he wherever he goes, good seasons follow for some reason. So he's been around some good national title teams in his time. I got my red shirt on, too. I didn't even yeah. realize that there was uh, good good, good planning, non-planning, but convenient uh, choice of shirt nonetheless. Uh, so, Bill, Trochi Trivia. It's going to be Georgia-themed, and then we'll go into some uh, some other college football news, and then we'll do the answer at the end of the show. You touched on it a little bit already. The schedule for Georgia, not that difficult. Two teams in Kirby Smart's tenure at Georgia have beaten the Bulldogs, uh, two SEC teams, as unranked teams. So Kirby has lost two games to unranked SEC teams in his career. Can you name those two teams? We will have the answer at the end of the show. Two unranked SEC teams have beaten the Bulldogs since Kirby. I got one already. Taken over. You, spoiled you, the you one. did mention one so already. I'll see if I can I figure like, out hey, one. You're stepping on my trivia question already, Bill. So, yeah, anyway. I got one because it was. Uh, I'll tell you the story about that. But let's go and uh, what a, another topic I do want to talk about. So uh, I'll let you set this one up. Yeah, Ross Dellinger of SI.com had a lot of information on uh, some clock uh, rules uh, that are changes that are going to be considered uh, for four proposals. And it looks like two are very non-controversial and then two are um, notable and should have a, an effect on, on play. Uh, the goal is to cut uh, the college football to get the length of the games. They're getting longer and longer. They're up to three hours and 21 minutes on average, I think I heard Ross say one out of every five goes over three and a half hours. Um, the NFL averages uh, three hours, 10 minutes. And the colleges, like I said, right now it's 321. Uh, NFL, there's an average of 155 plays over the last five years. And in college, it's 180. So, um, you know, in the interest of uh, fewer plays, more more safety for the players. We're trying to figure out how can we speed up the game a little bit, have fewer uh, plays, and to get the – I'm sure the TV networks want to squeeze it so it doesn't go over three and a half hours because they like those three and a half hour TV windows. Uh, so they want to um, do what they can to shorten the games. So the first two, one is um, the – you know, if there's a – opportunity for an untimed down because of a defensive penalty at the end of the first quarter or the third quarter. They're just going to move on to the next quarter. That isn't going to have much of an effect. 
Uh, you are not allowed to call back-to-back timeouts, typically to ice a kicker. That happens, you know, once a season for a team, right? You know, a last-second right. field goal is not a regular occurrence. Isn't going to save much time on average. Uh, but the next two proposals that Ross reported on was, uh, one, that the uh, clock would no longer stop after a first down outside of the last, I believe it's two minutes of the half, each half, uh, as soon as the, uh, the the clock will just continue to run like it does in the NFL. And then the second proposal was to have the clock on incomplete passes for the whole game. Uh, the You know, the clock would stop when it was an incomplete pass. Then they, they as soon as they spot the ball, the clock would run. Uh, that would change football as we know it, right? So that one's kind of controversial. Um, so let's let's talk first about the one with uh, running the clock on first downs. Your thoughts on that, and then talk about running the clock on incomplete passes. Well, they need to run it on first downs. Like that should be. This isn't like these rules that they made were designed when college football was a running sport and a, you know, a plotting sport compared to the NFL. When a team can run as many plays as Oregon can, they, they don't need to stop the clock on first downs. The incomplete pass one, I understand, but you know, all of these rules come from the Genesis for me, a number that popped up on Ross that I, I, I can't believe that a college game takes only three hours and 20 minutes with what I watched. There's no way they take at least four hours. It's, it's become to me, I've made the joke like five years ago that, College football games take longer than it does to watch the movie Gettysburg, which is 254 (laughs) minutes. Once you get a game into 200 minutes, and and for me, it's fine. Like, I'm at an age where I'm going to sit and watch. Telling you right now, and I've told people this for five years, a younger generation is not going to watch four-hour college football game. They're not. They're not. They're just not. You can fit two soccer games in a college football game right now. And with the attention spans that teenagers have and i have one that's getting close and kids they're not going to watch that for four hours there's only so many times you can watch the fansville commercials or craig robinson than the pizza hut commercials i, I they're what happens if you want to try to watch two games <laughs> no like i can't watch a four-hour football game i don't like watching a four-hour football game so they need to they absolutely need to pick it up the nfl does do a good job of packaging their game in 315 or less they're very good at it. They, they move them along. The timeouts come when they need to. They don't when they don't. Um, you know, the big one out of the four, I don't know that you need to keep the clock running after an incomplete pass um, because college offenses aren't NFL offenses. They're advanced, but they're not NFL offense level. Um, but you do need to run it after first downs. They don't need to stop the clock. Maybe in the last two minutes you can go back to the old rules, but, you know, the 320 that, that Ross put on there, I believe, I mean, it's obviously correct, but I would love to see a breakout on prime time or like top 25 games, like the big game on Fox each week. What, how long does that one take? Cause I guarantee it's not 320. Um, um, and they don't kick it off till eight yeah. seven and not eight o'clock. So an eight o'clock game doesn't, you know what I mean? There's seven minutes right there and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you are you in favor of, Running the clock on incomplete passes? No, not yet. But I would I would start with running it on first downs. There's no reason why they keep it and running, just keep going. Um, I would find a way to to touch up review. I remember being at a game. I think it was Michigan Wisconsin where they reviewed a goal line play on three consecutive plays, and I was like, what What are we even doing here? Um, commercials are. I get you have to have the commercials to have the game. They pay the bills. I understand all that. But this hasn't it, – it's a problem to me. It, it's my number one – if I was making a list of the things that annoy me about college football, the, the time it takes to play a game is probably number one. I think there's no reason why it can't be played in three hours and 15 minutes. I think they have to work toward doing that, like I said, because of a younger generation that's just going to tune out. And quite frankly, an older generation. i got buddies that – if you live on the East Coast like we do, uh, well, not East Coast, I guess Ohio. We're still Eastern time zone. Right. What, my buddies are not staying up and watching a Pac-12 game that takes four hours. They're not going to do it. They're going to go to bed because they're going to watch NFL the next day. So until they figure this part out, 
Um, and I hope these changes work. And, you know, the, the first two minor ones, we can do that. That's fine. The, the consecutive timeouts, I'm fine with it. But if they had to go to taking the, you know, running the clock through an incomplete pass, I probably wouldn't have a problem with that either, honestly, because most of these teams are doing no huddle. I have been a vehement opponent of freezing the kicker um, for my, you know, I, I can't stand that. My, my rule proposal would be if a team is in a field goal formation and the center touches the ball, you cannot call timeout. Either team can call and cannot call timeout at that point. These practice kicks and the just calling it right before the snap and no one knows if it was a real kicker. It's not football. It's not part of the game. It does not, you know, there's no strategy to it. It's ridiculous. It's like taking the ball out of a free throw shooter's hand, like right as he's like starting to go up. Oh, timeout. Like that's not how it is. But so I'm glad that they at least um, prevented people from calling back-to-back timeouts on the, on the kicker thing. One thing that I have also uh, felt for a long time, you know, that hasn't been discussed that I've seen in this recent proposals of trying to shorten games is if the NFL is it's 11 minutes shorter on average than the college game that they studied uh, 310 to 321 that's 11 minutes the NFL halftime is eight minutes shorter so that's eight of the 11 minutes right there now, college does the, you know, speaking as a parent whose right. daughter is involved in the Georgia Tech uh, band, yeah. um, you know, you want them to have their time at halftime. But I still think they could get a halftime show out there in and out in uh, 15 minutes. I think they should cut five minutes off the halftime from 20 to 15. That would be a significant, uh, you know, when we're trying to shave off eight, nine minutes, if you can get five right there and kind of leave the game alone as much as you can, I think they should look at that. And you want to try to kick off, especially like, you know, NFL games, a one o'clock game kicks off at one o'clock and 15 seconds. That's just boom. Right. College. It's, Oh, they just ran on the field. Oh, they just did this. They just did that. If the TV networks are worried about the three and a half hour window and they don't want to cut any advertisement, kick it right at 1201, kick it right at 331. Do not stretch it out. Notre Dame, doesn't kick off till 345. It's supposedly a 330 game on NBC. That's why at 615, it's halftime. And you're like, what just happened? Well, they didn't kick off till 345 and they had a 20 minute halftime. And (laughs) all of a sudden it's, it's six o'clock and we're early in the third quarter. So um, that's something I think they should look at too. I agree that the, um, you know, the, the, uh, they should try to run the clock on the, on the first downs for sure. I think it would really change the game if you didn't stop it on incomplete passes. And I think, um, you know, it would it would level the playing field. Taking plays away helps the underdog. And so that would be interesting to see. My guess is the the powers that be are not going to be on board with trying to shave plays off. So um, because, you know, the better team is probably going to win the more plays there are. So. We'll see. Uh, the better teams usually have the power in these types of situations. Um, all right, before we get out of here, are you ready? Trochi mm-hmm. Trivia, two SEC teams have beaten uh, – two unranked SEC teams have beaten Kirby Smart Georgia team since Kirby took over. You mentioned one, South Carolina. Can you name the other unranked SEC team that has beaten Kirby Smart? I'm going to say South Carolina for sure because that was on my 40th birthday, and I remember that one. Um, I'll guess Florida, his first season, and I'm probably wrong. It had to have happened his first season because it hasn't happened since, but I'm going to guess Florida got him when they weren't ranked that year. It did happen his first season. It was not the Florida Gators. The correct answer, down in Athens, no less. Vanderbilt. Oh, that's right. They did. Georgia, 16. A game that uh, lives on in Vanderbilt folklore. That might be the last time you beat them for a long, <laughs> very long time. Um, <laughs> so no, but yeah, I knew I knew South Carolina. They they outplayed them that day. I do remember that one very vividly. Um, 
So it doesn't happen often, and it's it's probably going to happen a little bit less over the next five years. Right, and the point I was making was that they're not going to have an, a ranked team on their schedule until Tennessee, probably. So, um, you know, I don't I don't see a, a big upset like you mentioned. It looks like smooth sailing for the first ten weeks of the year as their new uh, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, get their feet wet, and then uh, then obviously it'll be a challenge. You got Tennessee. Then they've got the SEC championship. Then you got two playoff games. I mean, it, it will ramp up eventually. Um, but uh, the first 10 weeks of the year, they should be solid favorites all the way through. Uh, so once again, we want to thank Mike Griffith for joining us from uh, the AJC Dog Nation. He was great. Um, follow Bill Bender at, at BillBender92. And uh, you can follow me at, at Bill Trochi uh, on Twitter as we go through the season. We've got some good off-season content on sportingnews.com. Bill, you went through the uh, quarterback battles uh, that we should see in spring practice. We'll talk about that next week uh, on CFB Nation here. Uh, I think we may have another special guest, uh, Brian Driscoll. Uh, we'll talk a little Notre Dame and all their offseason drama that they've endured. And now that the dust has finally settled, we'll get a report uh, on the Domers and see what's going on there. Uh, but once again, we want to thank everybody for uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, we are going to keep rolling through the off season uh, at least once a week. And then uh, if, it, if uh, news dictates, we will do more than that. But uh, we will see you next week. And thank everyone for listening to the CFB Nation All-America podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.